It was interesting. I was talking with an individual just a few minutes ago, uh, right before service started. And we were talking about depression, and they brought it up. They brought up depression, and uh, an individual that they know wrestles with that and uh, needs prayer for that. And it's interesting because this morning, our text is going to deal with depression. And what God does for us and how God moves when we are under mental and physical anguish. The fact that matter is, there are many people in this room right now. Uh, and it's not, just, it's not just older people, it's not just folks that are middle-aged with jobs. It's all the way down to teenagers are in this room today. There are people all across the spectrum. Some of you, it's every day. Some of you, it's once a week. Some of you, it's just for a little short amount of time every day. Some of you, it's most of your waking time. You are under, under mental and physical anguish. And you begin to wrestle with depression when it comes to, comes to the problems and the way you view yourself and the way you view your circumstances. When I was in school, one of the leading comedians was a guy named Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey was a leading comedian. A lot of people say that he was uh, maybe, uh, along with Chris Farley, one of the most influential comedians uh, in the 90s and, and, and maybe even late 80s, but definitely in the 90s, Jim, Jim Carrey was one of the most influential comedians there was. He still uh, does movies today and different things, and he's still a very influential man uh, among comedians in New York City and Hollywood and around the world. So it was a little shocking in a 60 Minutes interview a few years ago when he acknowledged that for most of his life, this man who makes others feel good about themselves and laugh at themselves for most of his life had dealt with depression. He admitted in this 60 Minutes interview that after his second marriage had failed, that he went to a psychiatrist who prescribed Prozac for him. Kerry admitted that the antidepressant did, depressant did help him out of his initial pain, out of his initial jam, how he felt. But over time, he realized, I do not want to stay on this drug forever. I don't want to stay on Prozac for the rest of my life. This morning, depression is not just something that Hollywood types deal with. It is something that Christians face. And in fact, after being involved on the vocational side of ministry, the more deeply you are involved in ministry, either laity or vocational, the more easy it seems that you become prone to attacks of depression. And in fact, the spiritual battle that you're involved in as a believer actually lends itself to the devil attacking you in that sort of way. In fact, as we read through the New Testament, we get small glimpses in Acts, but when you begin to read the letters that Paul will later write, it seems that Paul, he definitely dealt with mental and physical anguish, and it seems at times that Paul himself dealt with some depression. We know of prophets in the Old Testament who were under a lot of pressure who they dealt with depression. So this is an Old Testament thing, a New Testament thing, and if you're like Paul, been harassed, beaten, jailed, slandered, then it's not surprising that eventually that's just going to wear you out. This morning we'll look in a moment at Acts chapter 18, 
verses 1 through 17. You can go ahead and turn there, but I want you to listen very closely. As you turn there, we're going to see today that Paul is leaving Athens where we were last week, and he is traveling to Corinth. And when he makes this journey, this is what Paul, in his own words, will later write to the Corinthians. He'll later leave and he'll write them a letter. And in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, Paul says this about his arrival at this city we're going to read about today. He says, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Paul was in a weak place, a desperate place when he arises in Corinth. And again, if you had been harassed, beaten, jailed, slandered, attacked, ran from one place to another like a fox without a, or a rabbit without a hole to rest in. It's easy to understand why Paul at this point in his ministry, he needs some encouragement. His ministry, his witness needs strengthening. And we're going to see that God in his own way provided just what Paul needed. So if you are tired today, if you are mentally fatigued, if you are physically fatigued, listen, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but this morning I've already been overcome a little bit because one of our ladies, older ladies in the church, I'm just, I'm just looking at her and I noticed something and I said, what, what's going on with that? And she began to talk about her arthritis. And you know, as we were singing, I was also thinking about this lady where we were singing, thinking, you know, she got up and came to church today. And just physically, what's going on with her body? It would be easy to have said, I'm not going to come today because of the physical pain I'm in. And you know what? I, don't, I wouldn't have judged that. And I don't think, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not God, so I don't know what he thinks. But, I, you know, I could easily see some of you today. Listen to me, older folks. Some of you today, you could have stayed home because you've been under physical pain a lot for a long time. And there's some of you younger folks, school has started back, and it's already wearing you out because you, there's some apprehension and there's some dreading, and you're mentally worn out. And to be honest, you could have just stayed home this morning, and you could have stayed in bed, and you could have rested, but you have come today. And whether you are older and you have physical pain, whether you are younger and you have mental pain, whether you're younger and you have physical pain, whether you're older and you have mental pain, whether you have all that going on, can I tell you something today? God wants you to have strength through Jesus Christ. And you have come today. And God has a word from His Word, the Bible, for you. So if you wrestle with mental fatigue and physical problems and, you, and you're honest with yourself, you know the depression you struggle with, I want you to listen to what God did for Paul and what God wants to do for you. Acts chapter 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and he came to Corinth. And he found a certain... Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now why, why had Aquila and Priscilla left Italy? Why had they had to leave the heartbeat of the Roman Empire? Because Claudius, the emperor at the time, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. A little foreshadowing here. The Jews are already being scapegoated by Roman emperors, Later, we will find out that Christians are going to be scapegoated by these same Roman rulers. All the Jews have been run off from Rome. And they probably had to just keep going because the closer you to Rome, uh, the, 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 the more intense the persecution 
probably was. So they have had to flee. That's why Aquila and Priscilla are there. And because he was of the same craft, right? Paul is a tent maker. Because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and they worked. They worked together. For by their occupation, they were tent makers. Oh, so he's working at his craft, providing for himself. But he doesn't stop his ministry. Look what it says. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded. He preached, proclaimed the word, uh, did apologetic work with the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, when they came, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and he said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. He said, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I proclaim the word of God to you. I've told you the good news. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered in to a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God. So here is a God-fearer who's a Gentile, but this is a little different. Look, catch this. Whose house joined hard to the synagogue. His property, his house is literally right up next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So he he has to stop preaching at the synagogue. He literally goes next door, keeps preaching, and then something different happens here. The Jews oppose him, but Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, hears, believes, and is baptized. Now, Uh, The chronology, it's not exactly clear, but it sounds like Paul went next door, kept preaching, and the way they would have done things, obviously the windows would have been open, they didn't have air conditioning, they didn't, some of you can go back in time. Matter of fact, I just want to see this. How many of you remember the days when churches didn't have air conditioning and you had to open the windows? Would you raise your hand if you remember that? Now, this is where modern people, no kids in here, this is where we're stupid, What are we going to do if there's no air conditioning 10 years from now? If things fall apart, you see any windows? We'll be in in some trouble, won't we? We'll have to just sweat. Just sweat. The windows are probably open. And he's still preaching. And he's still proclaiming. And the rule of the synagogue has to listen to it every single day. Day or not every day, however much he did it. I say every single day. He just over and over and again had to listen. He believes, he hears, he's baptized. Then spoke the Lord to Paul in the night by vision. He said, Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not your peace, for I am with you, and no man shall on you shall set on you to hurt you, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months. Remember, all this activity in Acts, it's over a long period of time. And he's there for a year and a month, so a year and a half that he stays in Corinth and he preaches to them. And then when uh, Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. So they rise up against Paul and they want the Roman ruler Galileo to help them. So they brought him to the judgment seat. So here we are again, just like they did with Jesus before Pilate. Here is a follower of Jesus before the judgment seat of the Roman Empire. And this is what the Jews said. 
this fellow, this man, persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Remember, Christianity has no legal standing with Rome. This is not approved religion. This has not been approved for you to worship this God. You can worship the Greek gods. You can worship the Roman gods. And in fact, the Jews themselves have been given a special dispensation where they could worship their God. But now, it's not just God the Father. They're telling you to worship Jesus the Son and to honor Him. And they say He's breaking the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O you Jews, reason or no, that I should bear with you. I I would listen. I would do something about this. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look you to it. For I will be no judge of such matters. And this is a strong verb. This is a strong verb. He drove them from the judgment seat. He basically says, get out of my courtroom with the attitude of you have, you have messed up my day. You have brought something in here that has no business being here. Get out of my sight. Now, knowing that the Roman Empire is already persecuting the Jews in Rome, you can imagine when he does this, this probably got them uh, a little afraid because now they have angered. They thought they were going to do something to Paul, but instead it has backfired and they have angered the Roman ruler in a time when persecution is coming from the very top and that helps us to understand what happens next. Then all the Greeks took Sinothenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of those things. Beat him. He's a Jew. Beat him. But who... Who and what happens? But Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. And then took his leave of the brethren. Sailed unto Syria with him, Priscilla and Aquila. Having shorn his head in uh, century, for he had a vow. So here we see some amazing, amazing things that happen in Corinth. Here is Corinth, 53 miles from Athens where we were last week. Corinth was the largest and probably the most wicked, which is saying a lot, the most wicked of all the Greek cities. Can you imagine as Paul left Athens, how the devil must have been attacking him and discouraging this great church planning preacher? We don't even know if anybody's with him. Uh, Later we're told, right, that Timothy is going to show up and Silas is going to show up. When Paul leaves Athens, he's basically uh, by himself. He leaves once again. He's been attacked, run out of town. Can you imagine how the devil was attacking and discouraging him? My friend, some of you, the devil has been attacking and he has been discouraging you this week. But make no doubt about it, the word of God makes clear that if the devil was there accusing, if the great accuser was there undermining him, attacking him, saying, look at your life, look at these failures, you can't even stay and continue to preach the word of God. I've run you off from city after city after city. If the spirit of the accuser was with him, and believe me, this week some of you students are going to have the accuser at your schools uh, picking at you and attacking you in a spirit of oppression, trying to, trying to make school as miserable for you as it could possibly be. Some of you at your work, the accuser is going to be picking at you and eating at you, and he will use others if he can to bring sorrow into your life this week. 
some of you this physical body that is wearing down. As it wears down, the devil's going to use that, this physical pain. There's going to be a spirit that speaks unto you and says, ah, there's nothing for you anymore. Your body's too old, too broke down. There's nothing for you. Listen, the accuser, no doubt, was there accusing Paul as he journeyed from Athens to Corinth. But today's text makes clear that if the accuser was there, praise the Lord, the advocate, Jesus Christ, was also there in his spirit. And so this week, when you are being accused, when you are being attacked, when there is a spirit of opposition, of oppression against you for doing what's right, know that Jesus has not forgotten you. If you're glad Jesus does not forget us, say amen. Now I want to share five things. I, t- I told Brother Mike Bilber asked me, how was your week this week? And I said, great. Like personally, it was a great week. It's a good week. And I've told many people, I said, this is the best summer at church I've ever had. Like I'm, I'm kind of scared to say this. The problems have been so minuscule this summer, so small. So this is the first summer I've not really had to deal with any just huge kind of crisis thing that has kept me up at night. Or there hasn't, I mean, we, there's been some things that have happened that we've had to deal with, but they've been dealt with quickly and with good attitudes, and just everything gets gotten worked out. There's been no ongoing, just lingering, lingering problems. Can we say amen to that? That's just going great. But can I tell you something? For some of you, it's not going great. There are many people in this room. That this last week for you was a very, very, very hard week. We know the Townsleys. We know what's going on in there. And listen, Brother Charlie had, had, had a look of fear in his face this morning. Praying with me and Miss Freed at the door when we let him in. But you can ask her. He had, he had a little look on his face. You can tell, I'm, I'm worried for my wife. I'm worried about what's going on. Some of you have that look in your face today. Listen, I want to share with you five things. I want you to write them down. I want you to mark them in your Bible. I want you to know this. There are ways that God wants to help you this week with your mental and physical anguish. So you hold on. Let's look at these five things right here. Number one, first way that God strengthened his people. First thing God does is through friendships. First thing he does when he gets there. He gets there and he has a divine appointment. God has used the great sin of Rome in persecuting the Jews unjustly. God is using the work of the devil there to now do something great in the life of Paul because these Jews have been run off. Among them are two of the people that would come to the greatest influences on Paul's ministry, Aquila and Priscilla. Look at verse 2. He found there a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus. He just lately, he just gotten there just, just very recently. And with him was his wife Priscilla. Verse 3, and because he was of the same craft, He abode with them and they wrought, they worked together. For by their occupation, they were tent makers. Listen, some of you, listen, you've come to church today. And God wants you here because there is some friend in Christ. Some person in Christ that God wants you to have a conversation with. Or maybe you're the one that God wants to use to speak a word of encouragement to somebody else. Because this is the week where the devil is pounding and pounding and pounding. It appears just as... Emperor Claudius had been doing the devil's work, persecuting those who had done no wrong. God turns the work of the enemy right on his head. And he uses Aquila and Priscilla, who probably wondered to themselves, why have we been run off? It becomes clear through other things in the New Testament, Aquila and Priscilla are pretty prosperous. And it seems they have a really good uh, occupation, working occupation, and, and, and it seems like maybe, maybe contacts over the Mediterranean. They have a thriving work. And yet they've been run off from the equivalent of New York City. 
Los Angeles. They've been run off from the place where all the action was. They've been pushed aside to a secondary city in Greece. Yeah, Corinth's still a big deal. But Corinth is not Rome. But God used this evil to do something great in the life of Paul. And there's somebody today that God wants you to be the friend to them, to help them, to lift them up. Listen, God does not intend you to go, go through life all alone. Medical studies show that depression, high cholesterol, low immune system, lots of studies, not just a few, lots of studies show that depression, high cholesterol, low immune system can all be improved, not overcome, but they can all be improved by having at least one good friend that you can go and just talk to. God wants you to be a friend to others. And this is what I've discovered. When you are a friend to others, you will find that you will have a friend in your time of need. How does God strengthen His people? Through you. Through you. He uses friendship. Second way, God. How, how's God going to strengthen you? Number one, He does it through friendship. Number two. What second way He strengthens Paul? He does it through opening doors. Look at verses 6 and 7. When they oppose themselves. So, that, so in rejecting Paul's message, the Jews are opposing themselves. I love that terminology. I love that. It's not Paul or Christ that they're just opposing. They're opposing what's best for them by rejecting Christ. It says when they oppose themselves, they blaspheme, they reject Christ, they, they don't want anything to do uh, with, this, with this following Christ. He shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed. But what does God do? He entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. Here we go again. Many Jews attacking Paul, spitting on the things of Christ. He has run out of another synagogue, but this time God opens a new door. In fact, literally, God opened the window of Justice's house. The house of Justice, he would preach to Gentiles and Jews, and they would still hear him right there at the synagogue. You see, Paul probably thought when they ran him out, here we go again. Maybe you've thought that this week. Here we go again. Paul thought, here we go again, I'm losing an audience. But actually, God was doubling Paul's audience. Sometimes it looks like doors have closed and there's no way that you can go on. Friend, I want you to know that God can provide a way where there is no way. I mean, in Jesus the book of Revelation makes it so clear. There was none in heaven, none on the earth, none under the earth. There was no way, no how that salvation could come for sinners. But the Lamb of God made a way. My friends, when we read that, we know. When we read Revelation, we are encouraged both cosmically that God has made a way, but also individually that this God, this Lamb, this Jesus who has shed His blood for us that we sang about in that first song, this Jesus can make a way for you. God can make a way unlike and unimaginable to what you could ever dream of. Now, there's a story about a guy who was visiting a friend one time in one of those old churches. One of those old one-room church buildings in the backwoods of Arkansas. Forgive me if you're from Arkansas, but this is where it happens. Backwood of Arkansas. He didn't really know what kind of church he was going to until the folks started getting a little worked up and the minister pulled out a bag full of rattlesnakes. The preacher got out his burlap bag, passed the rattlesnakes 
up one side of the aisle and started down the other. This man was a Presbyterian. He'd never seen anything like this in his life. He certainly wasn't interested in hanging around and anybody handing him a snake. Amen. Frantically, he began turning one way and then the other, looking for a way out. But this was a one-room church with only one way out. It just so happened that the preacher was in the back of the church starting up that second aisle with the rattlesnakes. The guy turned to the next to, next to him and said, where's the front door out of this church? The man said, we ain't got no front door in this church. To which the visitor said, all right, I'm about to make you one. Listen, folks, sometimes in life you see no door. You see no opening. You see no way. You know the way that God provides? It's the way of faith. It's the way of faith. It is mocked, it is mocked by the elites. It is spat upon by those who, like those in Athens. By the way, in Athens, not a lot of people came to faith. There are a few, but, but you read then on the New Testament. This is not, Athens, Athens is not, Athens is not one of the great hot spots of where the church thrives because they know too much. They are too wise. They are, they, they, no, no, no. This Jesus, this resurrection, faith in this, are you kidding me? No, 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 no. No. My friends, if you don't go through the door of faith, you will never enter into the kingdom of God. You will never know God's power in this life. You will never know his plan. You will never know his purpose. You will never be able to walk in his path. and You won't be able to do it in this life. And you will not be able to cross that great river that we all must cross. You will never cross that river of death and know that it is defeated and that the path is clear for you. You will never walk across it into the kingdom of God and heaven forever unless you have entered by faith in Jesus. You say, there is no door for me. There is no way for me. I'm not talking about faith in generalities. That does nobody any good. I'm talking about faith in a person. I'm talking about faith in Jesus and that Jesus will open the door that you need. Now, it may not be the door you would have made. See, that's just between us and the guy in Arkansas. He's just going to bust through that wall and create a new door. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we just try to bust on through and we just think, I'm just going to get up enough of my own faith. I'm just going to get worked up enough myself, and I'm just going to make it happen. And by the way, there's a lot of preaching that is geared around that, just giving you enough positive energy that you can create your own way. Let me tell you something. When you get in the depths with the person in the hospital that cannot do anything, or is at home in hospice, and they cannot, they can't, they're nothing they're going to be able to work up on their own. Can I tell you that it's then that you find out it's not your positive energy you need worked on. You need to hold on to Jesus and let him guide you home. I'm not talking about generic faith. I'm talking about a faith in Jesus of Nazareth. The Son of God. The Son of glory. The guy that right now, with Miss Ann Bean, and with Miss Julie, with all that's going on in their life, I'm talking about a faith in a Jesus who His Spirit can minister to them even in their pain, even in their hurt. And He can minister to you. Listen, how does God strengthen us? Listen, God strengthens us through friendships and He strengthens us through open doors. And then thirdly, He, 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 he strengthens us through new believers. I mean, look at verse 8. This is awesome. 
This is one of those awesome verses in the Bible that you probably didn't ever pay attention to and you didn't know was there. But in the life of Paul and his ministry so far is one of the most incredible things that has happened to the church. Look at verse 8. What happens from the preaching in the house of justice? Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, where he has been run out of. Crispus believed on the Lord with all his house. And what happens? Many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. This is just, and can you imagine how Paul's spirits must have been lifted up when Crispus accepted Christ and his whole family? Here was a biblical scholar just like Paul. Here was a leader among the Jews just like Paul had been. You see, Paul, don't ever forget this. Paul is very different than the other disciples, the 12 that walked with Jesus. They're mostly unlearned. They're mostly uneducated. Uh, that's, that's where they fit. Paul is very different. Paul is very educated. But we'd call it overeducated probably. Paul is very well connected. He's not, he, he, he is very well connected. He has sat there probably at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the great teachers of their age. He, he, he's been to Harvard among Jewish society. So I'm going to tell you something. Don't kid yourself. There had to have been moments where Paul is hanging out with folks that he, he can't have an intellectual conversation with. He can't carry on about the great... By the way, this listen to me, Christians. And this is something I had to teach myself. And when I learned this, and I do think I have learned it, I do think I have, when I learned this, it freed me up to do ministry the right way. I have sat in seminary classes, and I have sat in Bible college classes with people that have smarts, but they could never do ministry in a church because they could never get down on the level where the average person was at. They could never do it. They could never, they could never, they could never bring Jesus down there. Now, let me tell you something. That does not mean what sometimes people say, well, you know, uh, good, I'll just stay where I'm at. No, don't stay where you're at. God wants you to learn more and know more, and God wants you to do the best that you can do and become. But sometimes people that have a lot of education, they got to realize, hey, look, man, it's not Athens. I mean, yes, he does something there. He does something there, but that's not where, that's not where Paul's greatest ministry was done because they're too smart to listen to Jesus. They're too smart to need faith. You see, Paul is truly smart because God broke him, and he realized that, look, it's Jesus and nothing else. And i got to imagine there were some tough times, though, where Paul had to think to himself, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. Nobody around I can have an intellectual conversation with. Nobody I can talk about where my knowledge level is. Paul is so intelligent with the Scriptures and how that relates to Jesus that Peter will write in his epistle, Peter will write in his epistle, it's hard for me sometimes to understand Paul. That had been tough for Paul. God had to break Paul. Because Paul was a man that he, he wasn't around people that intellectually were his level. But you know what I love about Paul? It's unlike so many smart people that I've met. Paul did not walk away for the ministry to be with those people that could give him a good conversation. He stayed right where Jesus wanted him. If you are glad that this very smart man, Paul, stayed where he was and continued to be smart and continued to grow to help pass his wisdom to us, say amen. Listen to me, smart person. Listen to me. Listen to me, student at college. Listen to me, college student. A lot of smart professors. 
lot of smart professors. They're wise in the things of the world. They're not wise in the, in the road of faith. They can teach you things. There, there's things you need to know. But they are not wise in the road of faith. Some of you asked when I first went to Duke, so I thought, was it hard for you there, knowing that most of those folks were theological liberals and all this kind of stuff? And I say, it wasn't hard for me, because I, I left and went there when I was 29. And by 29, I'd already reached a point in my life that it was not a professor in a classroom that impressed me. It was a man and a woman that could stay married to one another for 50 years. That impressed me. You hear me? It wasn't hard for me at Duke. What impressed me was not a professor who had a lot of smarts that could teach me a lot of the Bible, but then his life was such a wreck that you'd find out that he was a drunkard behind the scenes because he just had to turn to the bottle every night because everything had been, yeah, he could go speak at big meetings and he could do big things. Listen, at 29, that didn't impress me anymore. That didn't impress me. What impressed me was a man who could work a job all day long. Just enough to make it for him and his family who didn't have to turn to a bottle to hold on but could turn to Jesus and hold on. Having said all that, Paul has been so faithful. In a lot of ways, he's been a man alone. And at just the right time, God gives Paul a convert that in many ways is just like him super educated super connected super powerful god gave i believe this he stays there a year and a half i believe god in part gave him this friend this man to mentor this one to talk with this one who had wide knowledge in the things of the old testament but needed to understand how they connected to jesus god gives him that some of you listen don't walk away from the road of faith because it may be just the very next step that God knows exactly what you need and He is ready to give it to you. We say it, but it, and it's a cliche, but it doesn't need to be. If you're glad God's right on time, say amen. So we don't focus on that verse a lot, but I think this is a really important verse. In the light, I mean, they, they, for a lot of reasons. That, I mean, a lot of the Jews believe, obviously, because their leader believes, Christmas believes. And so they're willing to give this Christianity a listen. They're willing to, but I think for Paul, this is a big, big deal. Listen, God... By the way, I, I'm just going to confess something to you. When I finished divinity school, I had all kinds of people in Free Will Baptist that said, you won't stay Free Will Baptist long. You will not stay Free Will Baptist. You know why they said that? Because Free Will Baptist is a nomination. We don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of great schools. We don't have a whole lot of big churches. And people said, hey, you will not stay Free Will Baptist. You will leave. This past week, I talked to a, a new Southern Baptist associate pastor that's come into this town at one of our biggest churches. And I was talking to him about, about his connection with his kid and my kid at school, both being in the ministry, I was talking to him, and, and he said something to me that broke my heart. Now listen, big Southern Baptist churches pay more money and more opportunity, and they got a lot more influence all across the South than Free Will Baptists have ever had. But this guy said something that broke my heart. He said, I really want my kid to be able to do this because you know how it is with pastoring. You're just there a couple years and then you've got to move on. There's no permeance. There's no, there's, no, there's no solidness to your life as a pastor. And so your kids are just always thrown from place to place to place. Now, permeance is not the most important thing. 
But can I tell you this? I am glad that I stayed where God wanted me so that my kids, my kids could know people that love them not just for one year, but have loved them for eight years. If God is good, say amen. Now, I just say, I say that. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, those people say that stuff, and, it's, and, and there's truth to what they said. But maybe if this is where God wants you. By the way, Brother Mark preached on this when I was out of town. If you're where God wants you, then keep walking on that road of faith because you don't know what God might do. Wasn't it great last week? I mean, can we have a little hallelujah? Wasn't it great to see these four get baptized last Sunday? I mean, look at there. Two boys that are as rambunctious and as crazy as you can get. But they started on a walk of faith. Walk of faith. Looper boy over here. Good, they're not here. This will be good. Let me tell you something. Jody Looper adopted those two boys when I'm up there. And their lives have been a living hell. And he took them in and you will never know what they've been through. You will never know what they went through. You will never know what Jody went through to adopt them and then to keep them. Listen, Jody's marriage is falling apart. In the middle of adoption, somebody will belong to you and your marriage is falling apart. And Jody fought and fought and hooked because he felt like, I don't know why, but God wants me to take care of those boys. That's a boy who his biological parents, he doesn't know their love. But he knows the love of Jody that took him in. And praise the Lord, he knows the love of Jesus who washed his sin away. You see, that's the road of faith. Then Sister Ashley, what a brave thing to be an adult. To be an adult and say, you know what? I'm a believer and I trust God, but before it was just because of other people. I, I need to make a sign and a testimony that God has saved me. God strengthens people through friendships, through open doors, through new believers. And then fourthly, He strengthens us through His Word. Look at verses 9 through 11. Let's press on right here. Then spoke the Lord to Paul in night by vision. And He said, Be not afraid, but speak. And hold not your peace, for I am with you. And no man shall set on you to hurt you, for I have much people in this city. There's five things communicated there. God tells Paul, don't be afraid. God tells Paul, continue speaking up. God tells Paul that I'll be with you. God tells Paul that for this season, nobody's going to hurt you. And number five, he says, I have many in this city. Does that mean there are already many like Aquila and Priscilla uh, that, are, that are either already believers or are ready uh, to believe? Or does that mean just stay here for a while and you're going to see a flourishing of converts uh, that's going to amaze you? Whatever that meant, these many things, don't be afraid. Continue to speak. I'll be with you. No one will hurt you at this time. I have many in this city. God gave directly from his word encouragement to Paul. Now He did that to him in a vision. But Paul himself is one who has given us to the inspiration of the Spirit, the words of God, so that we can be encouraged. And it is available to you. So listen to what God has to say. Last night, Walmart had to make a quick trip. Went and saw Miss Marilyn at the hospital and then stopped at Walmart on the way home. Lo and behold, there was, there was one of my church members being an encouragement to some lady she didn't even know. This lady had something going on and she's there in the, uh, the pharmacy section of Walmart. And I was walking through, uh, you know, to grab, I know my hair looks outstanding. Had to get some hair product last night. And uh, went through and, and there was one of my church members encouraging somebody else. A church member who has a lot of 
her own issues to deal with. And I got to talk to this church member just right there at Walmart. And I asked her, I was like, How, how's this week going for you? And she said it was going good, but in her eyes you could tell it's not going good. And I said, tell me what's going on this week. And she told me. And I thought, man, that's hard what she said. It's just hard. And I did the only thing I know to do. I just right there in Walmart with this church member, I said, let's just pray right here, right now. And we just sat there right in the pharmacy section, and we prayed out loud. We just prayed out loud right there. Because the truth of the matter is, listen, I can't save you today, but Jesus can save you. And I can't strengthen you today. I can do that through the friendship like Aquila and Priscilla by doing one thing, and that is pointing you to Jesus. Being there to listen and to point you to Jesus. He, through this word, we are pointed to Jesus. How will God strengthen you through friendships, through open doors, through new converts, new believers? They strengthen us. Listen again, uh, for Paul, for Paul, he gets this new convert who's, that he can have a conversation with. That he can talk to. That he can be a friend to. By the way, that should remind us, for those who do ment- minister in, in very intellectual type circles, you need to pray for them. We need to pray for Christians that are college professors. It's hard. It's hard. And it's getting harder. I shared with the college group last night, we had an individual that they would be at this church. They applied for a teaching profession at a university very close to us. And they got the questions that clearly come from the diversity office. Not just Will you not harm those that are engaged in homosexual sex? But will you promote it? Will you promote what they're doing? I mean, that's basically what I asked them. You, are you comfortable promoting, affirming, affirming the sexual activity they're engaged in? And this man said, I couldn't say yes to that. I couldn't lie to him. I'm going to play a game with him. I couldn't say to them, yeah, I'll, and he said, I'm not going to, I mean, th- this guy's there to teach math. Math position. That has nothing to do with what he's going to teach. Nothing. He said, I couldn't tell them that I'd in any way promote that. He's one of the smartest men I know. Works for a company that does contracts with our government. Talk, talks to people that are way smarter than me. You better pray for people at our colleges. Because let me tell you, any Christian at any university is increasingly under the gun if they're going to say, I'm sorry, I can love everybody, but I'm not going to promote anything but Jesus and His way. You better pray for them. You see, Paul, he needed a friend. And praise the Lord, he gave him Aquila and Priscilla, and he gave him a new believer, Crispus, that he could talk to and that he could relate to. And then another amazing thing happens, and this is the fifth and final thing. Now, we're going to call this fifth thing, God uses circumstances. But when I say God uses circumstances, to us, they are circumstances. To God, they're a part of His divine plan where He uses our free acts and His divine purposes and brings them together. 
So I'm going to call this a circumstance, but it's only a circumstance to us. To God, this is not a circumstance, all right? So this is just to help us understand what God does in Paul's life. Can God use my circumstances? Can God use your circumstances? Listen, Paul stays there for a year and a half in ministry in Corinth, and then he has something else happen that he's never seen occur before. Now, now remember, he gets kicked out of the synagogue, and it looks like everything's going to keep going like it always does for him. He's going to get booted out, have to go to the next city. But then something different happened. He goes to Justice House. Then something different happens. The leader of the synagogue accepts Jesus and embraces him as Savior. Then something else happens because he stays. It looks like the persecution is going to begin like it always does. Look at verse 11. He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. When Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. They joined together. It's planned. It's purposeful. They with one accord go after Paul. They bring him to the judgment seat. But this time, this time is the time is right. The time is right for God to do something new in Paul's life and new in the life of the church. He goes to the judgment seat. Looks like the same old, same old is going to happen. They said this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Paul was about to open his mouth. But before God, before Paul could speak his mouth to defend himself, God intervenes through a pagan. Galileo, before Paul could speak a word in defense. Can you imagine the courtroom? There is Paul. And he's thinking, I know this story. This is when they take me and Silas and they beat us and throw us into prison. This is when, Lord, where more stripes get added to my back. Lord, this is where more pain enters in. This is when I ask myself, God, you got to help me stay on this road of faith. Because here it goes again. But this time, God does something different. Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O you Jews, reason, know that I would bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. This time the pilot rises up and says, I've got nothing to say about this. Unlike the first pilot who said, what are you talking about? But okay, you're upset, I'll go ahead and, and kill it. See, the first pilot said, I don't want to get involved, but he got involved. And he allowed Jesus to be killed because he was afraid. This leader, this pilot, does something different. He rises up and says, i got nothing to say about this. And because I don't, get out of my sight. And these Jews that have been so used to whipping and beating on Paul and the Christians, we've seen this in the book of Acts, they have whipped them and they have beat them. And it started with Jesus. Now all of a sudden the tables get turned. And those, I think for the first time in the book of Acts, those that are attacking the Christians have the tables turned on them, not by the Christians, not by Paul, but by the secular authorities. And this time it's not Paul being beaten. Verse 11 says, Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, they beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of these things. There's a divine foreshadowing here. Revelation points us to this as well. There's a foreshadowing here. 
Listen, those who rebel against God, those who reject God, those who fight against God, those who oppose God, the book of Revelation makes so clear, you better hold on because the day of judgment is coming for you. For you. So you say today, i got no time for God. I've got no time for this road of faith. I've got no time for this. There's a day when the tables will be turned. And on this day, we get a small foretaste of the judgment of God that will come not one day through pagans. He'll use them in Revelation. We see some of that. But God will come himself and judge. What's all this mean for us today? Listen, I just want to say this. Maybe today you feel like you're about to fall into the same old problems, same old situation. You feel them creeping right back. I just want to say to you today that God has a friend for you in this church. That probably means you're going to have to be a friend to somebody. I believe that, that God has somebody here to encourage you. I believe today that for somebody, some of you, you're, you're still going to be, you're going to, you're, you're going to go this week and you're still going to be on the road from Athens to Corinth. That's where you're at. But I believe there's somebody that you've got to your Corinth and God is just about to open some new door in some new way that's going to be totally unexpected to you. I believe for all of us today. I believe for all of us that it's not just Crispus and it's not just Ashley. It's not just Peyton. It's not just Joseph. It's not just Parker. I believe that salvation has come this day to any who will believe and accept. I believe today God has a word for you. A word that can change your circumstances. You want your circumstances changed? Listen, like the ruler of that synagogue, you look to Jesus. Give Jesus all of you. Because Jesus has given all of himself for your salvation. If Jesus is good, say amen. Often overlooked. One of the most important passages in the life of Paul. Give all of yourself. Paul gave all of himself. For the Lord who gave all for him. How about you? You giving all this week? Are you ready to trust him with that depression? Believe he'll walk with you through it? You ready to trust him with that anxiety? With those specific things that bring that anxiety on? You ready to walk with him? You ready to take your sin and lay it at Jesus' feet? Listen, he's ready to accept you. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. Don't want you to hesitate. Don't want you to wait. A lot, a lot to say through this passage today. You know today, you, you know You know if you need to come and bow and kneel and ask the Lord God to help you, have others encourage you with whatever burden and struggle you've got. Listen, there will be those who will come and pray with you. They won't overprime your business. That's not what we're about, but they will come and pray with you. They will ask you. They will, they will, they will do whatever it is you need to help you and encourage you. You don't even have to wait this prayer to be over. You can come right now. And Lord God, I ask today, boy, Paul was in a deep place, a depressed place, a hurting place. But God, you did a great thing. You did a miraculous thing. You did a life-changing thing. Father God, I think about my friend today who had a, his dreams to be a professor. And Lord, that door got closed on him. But Lord, you've got a, you've got a better door on your path of faith open for him right now. Lord, there is a student in this room, Lord, they have had a door closed on them at school and they are down and they are out. Lord, you have, you have another door for them on this road of faith. Lord, there is a sinner that is carrying their sin. Lord, you gave all of yourself for them. You're just waiting for them to bow and to trust. 
Lord God, you be with us right now. Lord, if there's any who need prayer, Lord, we ask that they would come right now, that they would come today, Father God. We're going to sing. If you need to pray, you come while these sing this morning. Listen, you come while they sing.